and your path uncertain, climb on. When the rocks become sharper and tear at your feet, climb on. When rain clouds threaten and the fierce winds howl, climb on. When the air grows thin and each breath takes more effort, climb on. When the crowds turn back and the path becomes lonely, climb on. When your faith is pushed to its ultimate limit, climb on. That's right, my friend, climb on. A reward awaits for all those who refuse to give up, for all those who reach the summit. Life trails, take the next step. As most of you know, and uh, my wife and I like to hike, and so we uh, go different places, try different things, hike different uh, trails, and uh, just love to get out there in the great outdoors. And we have this tradition, though, when we hike, when we get to a trailhead, we always take a picture of ourselves before we go on the hike. I think, really, we probably should take a picture of ourselves after we get back, just to see what we look like, or maybe a before and after picture. But we take these pictures, and we really have done nothing with them other than they're mostly on my wife's phone, because she has a better camera on her phone than I have mine. But we go to the trailheads, and before we take this hike, we take this picture, and off we go. Well, last uh, September... Uh, so we're talking all the way back in 2021. We came to a trailhead as a church, and we introduced something we've never done before. And we said, let's try this. And we had a theme for the entire year, and it was called Life Trails. And so we have been following this theme, and we've covered a lot of miles. We've visited a lot of places. We've actually traveled with a few hikers from the Scripture, and we've traveled with all of you as hikers here at Waterford Community Church. And hopefully along the way, we've taken some next steps in our faith, because that was really the goal and the objective all along, is to take those next steps. But what I want to do today is I want to take us back to the trailheads that we've been walking here, uh, the trailheads of the paths that we've been walking for the last year, and I want to do a review, which is a little bit unusual, and if you're a guest this morning, you're just going to have to catch up as we go. I think it'll make sense, but I want to take us back to the different series that we've looked at here for the past year, and just to review them, to remember them. Just like my wife and I do when we go back and look at the trailhead pictures and we look at the pictures of the trails, and say, oh yeah, that was awesome. That was great. That was incredible. And to bring back those memories and yet at the same time to learn something from them. But then I want to finish this morning by taking us on one final hike, taking us up one final mountain. It's a mountain called Zion. It's a mountain that still exists. In fact, Pastor Mark was just on that mountain on Friday, and we'll have a picture of him in just a minute here of him and his life trails out there and his trip to Israel. But I want to take us back to that very first Sunday, and we're talking a year ago. Now, by the way, we also passed out these water bottles, and some of you picked those up, and we've had stickers along the way for the different uh, series that we've done. And if you never got a water bottle, there's still maybe eight or ten of them left out there, and some of the stickers are still there. You can grab what you can find in the basket there. But let's go back to that first series, which we just called Life Trails, but we talked about the path of influence. And as we go back into the fall, one of the things that we really wanted to do 
which introduced you to some new uh, missions and outreach partners, introduced you to some new opportunities of how you could be involved in that. Because one of the things that I'm really passionate about here at Waterford is that outreach and influence isn't something that we expect somebody else to do, but that it's something that we take that responsibility ourselves very seriously. So as you go back, you may remember that we had several guests that came through here. We had uh, Michael uh, Williams and Lara Kaiser from InterVarsity, who's working with students at, uh, at OU and also at OCC. We had uh, Samantha Lamb, the principal at Grayson, and uh, Scott Limbert, the uh, head of the Waterford School District, came in and joined us for a Sunday. We had uh, Alexa Lawler come in from Connect the Nations. We also did a, uh, a, a Zoom a video with uh, Devin uh, Motto and Leon Prasad, who are leading the number 73 church in Carriverton, Guyana. And maybe you remember the actual live FaceTime that we did with uh, Heather Askew from uh, JoJo's Sanctuary, where they were coming live from Thailand that morning. But we went back and we visited those, or, or we visited with those people, but I want to take us back there to remind us of this simple truth. And this was the point of the whole series. Influence is the expected pursuit of every Christ follower. It's not something that we get to delegate to all these different people that we brought in. It's that we are reminded by those people that all of us can be a part of influencing somebody and influencing somebody spiritually. So as we take our look back and we come to this trailhead of influence, my question for you this morning is, who in the past year have you been able to influence spiritually? Maybe it's a child that lives in your home. Maybe it's a, another family member. Maybe it's somebody that you work with. Maybe it's somebody that's in your small group. I don't know. But where have you been able to have influence on somebody spiritually? Because that was the step that we wanted to take. And have you taken that next step? And by the way, if you're sitting there and saying, oh boy, I don't know that I've done great on that. That's fine. Because there's always the opportunity to take that next step. Well, then we did something when we got to October. We called it urban hiking, and we went to a place that we called Generous City or Generosity. And you remember that as we uh, did that. And we just talked about the idea of generosity being more of an attitude than it actually is a place. There is no place that I know of called Generous City. If you find it, that's awesome. Go. But it's an attitude that we have, and it's an attitude that works off of this premise that we have enough, and actually that we have more than enough. God has given us enough for what we need. He's given us more than what we need. So I can take that more than what I need, and I can share that with the people around me. And that might be materially, that might be time, that might be my encouragement, that might be all these different gifts that God gives us, but I can share that with others. And I demonstrate my faith by being generous. Because sometimes when I'm generous, and sometimes when I'm giving, it makes me a little bit nervous. Like, I don't know if I can afford this, or I don't know if, this, if I have enough for this. But when I do that, I am saying to God, God, I'm going to go ahead and share this. I'm going to give this because I believe that you will continue to provide what I need. And it allows me then to live with open hands rather than with clenched fists. And we see so many people in our world who keep trying to pull things to themselves. Whereas God's people, we want to be the exact opposite, where we take what we have and we share it with others. So as we look back, the question is, 
Where, when, how have you been generous? Where have you been generous with other people? And you know what? As we look back over this past year, and we just finished our fiscal year, there's been a lot of generosity that we've seen here as a church, as you all have, have provided, even for a new roof that we weren't expecting to have to put on, and we did that this year through your generosity. But where have you been generous? Where have you taken that next step? When we got to November, we went to a new series. We called it No Shame November and actually went on into December. And this was one of my favorite series that we actually did. And this wasn't a hike to someplace. This was actually a hike out of someplace. And we talked about hiking out of shame because shame is, a, is a, an emotion Shame is an experience that many of us deal with. As we look back in the past, there's shame for things that we have done, or sometimes there's shame for things that have been done with us. And it's like, how do I get done with the shame in my life? And so we looked at several Bible characters who had experienced shame, Adam and Eve, uh, when they sinned in the garden, and how they experienced shame, and God came to them. And we looked at the story of the prodigal and how he ran from the father and how he experienced shame and the father ran to him. And we looked at the story of Hagar and how she experienced shame and we see how God came to her in the desert. And we kept seeing these stories of shame and we see a God who moves towards us in our shame. Because what does shame do? Usually shame pushes us back. And it it isolates us, and we remove ourselves from people because we don't want to be seen. We don't want to be exposed. We're embarrassed. We're ashamed. And God says, no, 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 let me come to you in those moments. We talked about the fact that, that shame and guilt are not the same thing. And we may experience guilt, and we can deal with that. But when we experience shame, that's not coming from God. That's coming from the enemy. And the enemy uses shame in our lives to, to defeat us. Uses shame in our lives to, to embarrass us. Uses shame in our lives to keep us from stepping forward. And God comes and he offers healing. And God comes and says, hey, don't let other people play the shame card in your life. God is never, 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 never the author of shame. And so as we look back at that trail that we took, the question this morning again is, all right, were you able to deal with some shame in your life? Were you able to maybe take an episode or something that you did, something that happened to you and say, okay, God, I'm done with this and so are you. And so we're going to move on. And you took that next step. And if you haven't taken that next step or you're saying, you know what, I'm still struggling with this, you can go back into our archives on the website and you can go and, and look at those messages again and talks about how we can hike out of shame. Well, we paused for a couple of weeks and, and did some Christmas, and then in January we jumped into a new series that we called The Way of the Wise, and there's my little Way of the Wise sticker right there on my water bottle. But The Way of the Wise was the idea that we want to live wise lives, but one of the ways we live a wise life is by accessing the wisdom of other people. And so we talked about several wise people in the Bible and the advice that they gave. And so we talked about Solomon. We looked at the story of Solomon with the, with the two, uh, two women and their babies. And we see the, the wisdom that we can learn from Solomon. We, we looked at Abigail. Remember Abigail meeting David on the trail. And it was her wisdom that prevented David from making a horrendous mistake. We, we talked about um, James in the book of James, all the wisdom that he gives us. And then we also talked about Lemuel and Lemuel's mother, like this obscure story. But uh, Lemuel's mother, who actually gave advice to him, Lemuel, 
as a king. In wisdom is simply the ability to live well, but one of the things that makes us wise is having the ability to listen to other people in our lives. I'm not always the greatest listener. And my wife, my kids, they could probably tell you that. But for all of us, we need to learn to become listeners so that we can become more wise. And so the way of the wise was about listening to people in your life who have wisdom, who can give you wisdom, who can give you advice and counsel. So as you look back, what are the decisions that you've made this year? How have you made them? Have they been good decisions? And who did you involve in that process? Because of the way of the wise, that's what we should be doing. So did you seek the counsel of others? Did you engage those who could help you? Did you take that step? And maybe as you sit here this morning, you're like, oh, I got a huge decision coming my way, or I got a situation I don't quite know what to do with. That's the next step. And you can go back to the way of the wise, and maybe you can find somebody who's even like a, a mentor, a spiritual mentor in your life, and say, hey, can you help me think this through? Can you help me sort this out? But then in February, we got to what was maybe my favorite series of the entire year, and this was the ancient pass. And uh, we used as the ancient pass a, a verse from uh, Jeremiah, which I want to look at here again this morning. It says this, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient path, ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And we just talked about the idea that for many people, including many of us who follow Jesus, rest in our souls is not a reality. There's all kinds of anxiety, there's all kinds of worry, there's all kinds of strife, there's all kinds of turmoil, and that's inside, and then we add all of the commotion that's going on outside, and we leave, live a very hectic, uh, crazy, high-paced life that leaves us exhausted and worn out with, without reserves. And yet God says, you can find rest for your souls, and the way to do that is to go back and look at some of the ancient past, and that was in Jeremiah's day, going back and looking at some of the, the uh, forebears, the, the patriarchs. But for us, we did as a church, we went back and looked throughout the, church, uh, the history of the church and said, who are some of the, the Christ followers of the past, and, and what can we learn from them? And you might recall that we... Uh, looked at some of these guys who lived in the 300s and the 600s and the 1200s, and we, we read some of their prayers, and we, we talked about some of their spiritual practices. And we said we wanted to do four things. We wanted to explore our spiritual heritage, and that was part of going back and looking at these people. But we also wanted to examine spiritual practices, and some of these we actually tested out, did test drives in the service, and you might remember them. We did a lot more with liturgy. And we actually did a couple of very liturgical services to walk us through that experience. And if you've been noticing, we've actually made some shifts even to our, our worship from that point forward on how we're using Scripture, how we're using prayer in our, in our services. We did the Lectio Divina, which was an ancient practice, but it's, it's a way of sitting in Scripture in meditating on Scripture. We talked about the pres practicing the presence of God. We talked about the daily office, the examine, the practices of slowing, silence, solitude. I think it was Benedict who introduced the rule of life. 
And I think he also introduced, I don't know if he introduced, but he emphasized this idea of retreat. And for a staff, I think it was back in, in uh, June, it might have been July, but we took one of our staff meeting mornings and said, okay, we're not meeting in the church. We're going up to Independence Park, uh, Independence Oaks Park, and we actually did a retreat that morning. And I had like my staff looking at me like, this is the weirdest idea you've ever had, Brent, and you've had some weird ones. And uh, we went up there, and we, we went off into the woods for a few hours on the trails and, and whatever there, we got back together, and everybody's like, oh, that was so meaningful, where we actually shut down everything else going on in our world and just spent some time with God. But the question is this morning, those were great practices. How many of you incorporated into your life? Those would have been great next steps on these life trails that were trying to take. Because as we went through this and we explored the, these practices, it actually exposed our spiritual complacency or spiritual shallowness or spiritual routineness where we just kind of do the same thing. But it's not really changing us. And we talked about this idea that there's such a thing that we call a spiritual or we call discipleship. And then we have this thing that we call spiritual formation. And they're somewhat the same, but they're different. And discipleship is where we learn, here's how to become like Christ, and here's the things that we're supposed to do. But spiritual formation is when we just sit with Christ, and we sit in the Word, and we sit in prayer, and He starts to change us and form us into the person that we're supposed to be. And this is so foreign to our 21st century culture, and even to our 21st century church culture, but these practices are so, so, so important in our lives. And so the question is, have you taken these ancient paths? And maybe you need to dig out your notes, or maybe you need to go back and check out some of the, the videos of the pastor and say, how can I do these things so that I can find rest for my soul. Well, our next series brought us up to Easter. We called it Crosswalk. And the basic premise of Crosswalk is this, that we need to walk to the cross. That's what Easter is about. But that we also need to walk from the cross. The cross was never meant to be the end of the story. We see that with the resurrection. We have the cross, and then we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cross was just a point on the story. But even the cross and resurrection are just a point in the big story. And they're not at the end, and they're not at the beginning, they're right in the middle. Because we're supposed to walk to the cross, but then we're supposed to walk from the cross. And the basic concept is this, we walk to the cross, and as we experience Christ, and as Christ becomes a part of our lives, we should walk from that cross, reflecting a change in ourselves. And we looked at different ways that we should be changed. We should be changed in our humility. We should be changed in our deference, in the way that we prefer other people instead of ourselves. We should be changed in our trust. If God was willing to give us his son, we should trust him, even with the difficult things in our lives. And we should walk away from the cross in power. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is available to us in our lives as we try to follow Christ. Did you take the next step at the crosswalk? And then this spring, we talked about John the Baptist. We talked about the wilderness guide. He was the ultimate guy out there in the wilderness. For some of you who are outdoorsmen, that's awesome. John the Baptist probably could have given you a few lessons. 
uh, made his own clothes, evidently, from the skins of animals that he killed. And he went around and he ate locusts and, and honey. And I mean, he was the ultimate live-off-the-land kind of guy. And we just used his story because we live in a wilderness too. And we live even in a cultural wilderness. And, and we look at sometimes and say, okay, this world that I live in is so hard. And for so many different reasons, whether it's something that's going on in your family or something that's going on at work or something that you're just dealing with internally or, or sometimes it's just all the, 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 uh, the society landscape around us. And John the Baptist gives us ideas of how we can live and how we can live well, even though we might be living in a wilderness. And we looked at John the Baptist and we talked about how important it is to live with passion. And John the Baptist was 100% if he was anything. It was never halfway with John the Baptist, like, here we go, guys. And when we look at our faith, that's the way that we should live our faith, too. Okay, 100%, I'm all in here. We talked about John the Baptist and how Jesus said he was the greatest that ever lived. But John the Baptist said, no, 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 I'm number two. And the importance of putting Christ first and living number two in your story. What's fascinating to me when we talked about John the Baptist, Jesus said he's the greatest to ever live. And yet John the Baptist, when he was staring at death, sent some guys off to Jesus and said, hey, um, am I getting this right? Because it's not looking so good for me. Are you really Jesus? Are you really the Messiah? And it's such an encouragement to me to know that even the greatest dealt with doubt. And sometimes we in our faith, we go through things and God doesn't respond the way that we think he should. And he doesn't do something, doesn't answer prayer like we want him to. And we struggle with doubt and John the Baptist was there too. And it's okay to doubt, but you've got to keep pushing your way through that. And John the Baptist was the personification of spiritual ruggedness. And so the question this morning is that we look back is, have you dealt with hard times, even in your faith this year? Was there anything from John the Baptist that might have helped you through that? Where did you take a next step? And then our final series is the one that we are on right now, and that's the summit. There's my sticker there. And we've gone to the different mountains that are mentioned in the Bible, not all of them, but a lot of them. And we've gone to places like Mount Moriah, and we've gone to Mount uh, Horeb, which is actually the same as Mount Sinai, and we've gone to Mount Carmel, and I think Mark took us to, to Mount Hermon, and, and we uh, went to where the Sermon on the Mount was actually given. And today, we're going to go to Mount Zion, and we're going to take our final hike. And this would have been the most popular hike in the Bible, in Bible times, is to hike to Zion. And Zion was the most mentioned, by the way, the most mentioned mountain in the Bible. It's mentioned over 150 times in the Bible, most of them in the Old Testament. But today as we finish up this whole life trail thing, and I just, we didn't walk down those paths, we just ran down them, didn't we? But as we ran down those paths this morning, I want to get to this last hike. This last hike and say, let's take one more hike together here as a church and see what we can learn from Mount Zion, which was the most popular hike of the day when people lived in Jesus' time and time before. Why did everybody want to hike to Zion? Why was that the most important hike? So I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. is where we're going to look at in just in a minute here this morning. But I want to look at Mount Zion from its past and its history Try to help you make sense of that. I want to look at Mount Zion from its present, what's going on there right now. 
And Mount Zion is an interesting mountain for us because unlike these other mountains that we've talked about, Mount Zion has a role in the future too. And so we're going to get to all three of those quickly here this morning. So as we talk about Mount Zion in the past, this is, let me just give you a, a, a summary, all right? And uh, Mount Zion in the past was, shows up the first time in Genesis chapter 22, but it's not called Mount Zion. It's called Mount Moriah. And we've already looked at it this summer. It's the mountain that, that uh, Abraham took Isaac to for the sacrifice and where God said, no, you don't have to sacrifice your son, but I will sacrifice my son. What a great lesson there. But Mount Zion and Mount Moriah are actually the same mountain. It's not called Mount Zion until you get to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse number 7. David has just become king at that point, and he goes up and he conquers the city of the Jebusites, the enemies at that time. And the city of the Jebusites was Jerusalem. It was also Zion. And we learn there that Jerusalem and Zion are really the same thing. Jerusalem is built on several hills. One of those hills is Zion. And when you look at Zion in the scripture, generally speaking, it's just talking about Jerusalem. But David sets up Jerusalem then. Zion is the capital city. He gets the Ark of the Covenant. He brings the Ark to Jerusalem. And that becomes not just the the uh, political center where the throne is, it also becomes the religious center because that's where the ark is. And Solomon goes on and he builds the temple there. And so Jerusalem, Zion, becomes the focal point of all of the Jews. They look to Jerusalem because that's where the government is, but they look to Jerusalem because that's where the presence of God is represented in the ark and the temple. But then it takes a shift in David's day, too, because it becomes more than just a physical place. It actually becomes symbolic. Because God comes to David and says, David, your family will reign on the throne forever. And it's what we call the Davidic covenant. But it's the promise from God that your lineage will reign forever. And we know that that's a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And sure enough, Jesus came, and he was in the line of David. And Jesus will eventually, and Jesus does reign, but Jesus will eventually reign in Jerusalem on the throne forever. And so that, that became, Zion became symbolic to say all through history, past, not so much, but all through history as we look into the future, that is always going to represent the reign of God through Jesus Christ but the reign of God is in Zion. And so it became a, a physical entity. It also became a spiritual and symbolic entity. But the people loved Jerusalem because it represented their faith. It represented everything they loved about God. It represented the place that they wanted to go and for the feast. Every year there were three feasts. And no matter where you lived in Israel, you would go back to Jerusalem. You would go back to Zion. You would take that big hike so that you could celebrate those feasts. And we see that even when the, um, when the conquerors came in, the Babylonians came in, and they, they took over Jerusalem, and they wiped out the temple, and they dispersed the Jews, and they went into captivity. But we see the songs of people longing to go back to their homeland, longing to go back to Zion. We see the story of, of, of Daniel. He's in Babylon, and he prays. What does he do? He opens his window towards Jerusalem because it was such a focal point that they looked to for their faith. 
Even when we get to Jesus' day, uh, on the last week, what does he do? He goes back to Jerusalem, to the Passover. He goes back to Zion. And Zion, in a sense, became this gathering place then. But people had this huge love for Zion because it represented the presence of God. Even in the temple of Jesus' day, it represented the presence of God, but it also represented the promise of God. And so as we come to Zion ourselves, we could be reminded of the fact that we have the presence of God in our lives. And of course, there's not a temple in Zion anymore. The temple is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We have the presence of God, but we also have the promise of God. And that's what the future is all about here. Well, we have Zion in the present, too, and we'll get a map up here. That's a picture of Zion, if you keep advancing it. There's our tour guide, Mark Manzer, and he sent that picture to me um, Friday. He's either on Zion or he's looking at Zion. I'm not sure. I think he might be on the Mount of Olives here looking at Zion. I take that from the next picture he sent there. And uh, you can see all of the, the, uh, the graves there on, on the the lower side of, of, um, of the Mount of Olives there. But the real, real place that exists today, but it doesn't look like much of a mountain, does it? It's really more of a hill. And actually, Jerusalem is a hilly city, and there's several different hills. And this is kind of interesting in history. We're not exactly sure which hill is actually Zion. We've got a map there. If you'll notice here in, in this map, do I have, there's my pointer. This up here with the temple, that was originally what people would call Zion. Then you see down here, this actually says Mount Zion. And then now over here we see Mount Zion. And if you go to the next thing, so it's a similar map. So this would be the original Mount Zion. This would be the next Mount Zion. This would be the modern-day Mount Zion. Like, why is there three Mount Zions? Because nobody really is sure which one was the, the original one. And when, these, like, when the Babylonians came in and they took over, they kind of raised the city. And so when things got rebuilt, they weren't exactly sure where it was supposed to go. And then after the time of Christ, Titus the Roman came in and they raised the city again. And so everything got rebuilt. And so today's modern Mount Zion probably isn't the same as the original Mount Zion. Although you can go there today and visit. In fact, Mark did that this Friday. And you can see some of these things. The first thing you can see if you go to the modern-day Mount Zion is supposedly, I don't think it is, but supposedly this is the tomb of David. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Next picture. This is actually supposedly, and again, I'm not sure that it is, but it's at least worth thinking about. This is supposedly the upper room uh, where Jesus had the last supper with his disciples. And Mark was just in these places, so hopefully when he gets back, he could tell us a little bit about these um, uh, tourist sites, I guess you would say. But there is a real Zion there today that you can go visit. And then there's the Zion of the future. The Zion of the future we're told about will be the location of Jesus' throne during the millennium kingdom. It's in Isaiah 24, 23. It's the location, Revelation 14, 1 tells us, it's the location where the 144,000 will gather to worship Christ. And actually, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3, tells us that the new Jerusalem is the new Zion that's coming down. That's where Christ will reign uh, forever. The new Jerusalem, the new city, the new heaven, the new earth. And it will all be centered in Jerusalem on Zion. And that's where Jesus will reign. So that's the future Zion. But let me back up here to the current Zion one more time. As we finish up here this morning. And hopefully you're in Hebrews chapter 10. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12. 
Because Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the current Zion, but it talks about it in a different way. Verse number 12, or excuse me, verse number 18, the writer says, You, the followers of Jesus, most of them Jewish, that's why he's written to the Hebrews, have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to, to darkness, gloom, and a storm. You have not come to that kind of mountain. You haven't come to a mountain where there's a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And the writer is referring what? He's referring to Sinai. He says, you have not come to a mountain like Sinai that was hands off, stay back. And it wasn't like it was hard to discourage the people to stay back because they were scared to death. Because there's a storm rumbling on top and there's a voice of God speaking and it's so bad that the people are like, we can't stand that. And they ran basically in Moses Got to go up the mountain, and Moses, I think, in fear and trembling, it says right there, he was scared to death, but he got to go up that mountain. The Hebrew writer, or the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't come to this mountain. You haven't come to Sinai. He said, instead, look what it says next here in verse number 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The, the author says what? You have come. It's not you're going to. He said, you have come to this place. So in your life, you have come to a spiritual, symbolic Zion. You're not in Sinai anymore. You are in this place called Zion, the place that everybody wanted to go to because of the presence and the promise of God. And in this passage, he points out six contrasts between Zion and between Sinai that I want to mention here today as we finish up. The first thing about Mount Zion is opposed to Sinai. It's inviting and not imposing. The original Sinai, the people looked at it and said, I don't want anything to do with that. When we look at Zion, it's God saying, hey, come. Come be close to me. Don't worry about the fire. Don't worry about the storm. Don't worry about this loud voice. How about if you hear the voice of God? How about if you experience his embrace? And so it's a place that's inviting and not imposing. And we see that in verse number 22, there's that word, but. It's not like what the Jews experienced back then. It's totally different now. He says, secondly, you're coming to a city, verse number 22, to the city of the living God. It's a city and not a wilderness. If you go back when the Jews were at Sinai, it was a barren land. There wasn't a lot of food there. God sent quail. God sent manna. He had to provide water. It was a wild and desolate place in contrast to a city, which is civilized, which has the conveniences, which is safe, which is secure, which is the place where you can put down a, a permanent residence. And God says, you're invited to this city. You're invited to a great place to live here. You're invited to a permanent place, which leads to the third idea here. It's forever. It's not just for now. And if you go back, we, when we talked about Sinai, 
Sinai, the, the Jews were there for a year. But when they left, they never came back. And they weren't supposed to. God was establishing some things, but it wasn't a permanent residence for them at all. They moved on. When you get to Zion, God's saying, when you get there, you can just put down your roots and you can stay there. Because it's going to be forever. But the point also is, it's not just for the future, it's for now. It says three times in these verses, but you have come. You are there now. So this Zion that it's talking about here is not about something in the future where Jesus is reigning, although that's going to be true. It's talking about the fact that Jesus can reign in your life right now, right here where you are. And so that you and I can quite literally, in a spiritual sense, take that hike to Zion and to experience all of the good things that God wants for you. And we get some idea of that when he says that it's the church of the firstborn in verse number 23. It's about family and not about nationality. The firstborn was the one who inherited everything. The church of the firstborn is all of the people who have trusted Jesus Christ, who you inherit everything in Jesus Christ. And so God says, Zion, it's not about the Jewish nation anymore. It's about the Christian family. And you can enjoy the family and everything that comes with the family. And you can enjoy the inheritance and everything that comes with that on this Zion that I'm talking about. Number six, he says then, it's a place of joy and not of fear. Verse number 22, he says, you have come to a huge, joyful assembly. Why did the Jews in the past want to come on the feast days to Zion? Not to be flippant, but that's where the party was. That's where the celebration was. We'd come three times a year, and we gather with friends and neighbors, and we would rejoice, and we would celebrate God's goodness to us in the past and what God has provided for us. And it was a place of joy. But when I look at this mountain today, that's what really sticks out to me the most is the idea that it's joy. Because we live in a world that's without joy. We live in a world with a lot of depression. We live in a world with a lot of anxiety. We live in a world with a lot of fear. And God invites us to a life of joy. We don't need to fear the future. We don't need to fear other people's opinions. We don't need to fear being found out. We don't need to fear loss. We don't need to fear failure. We don't need to fear the influence of the world around us. We don't need to fear the cost of standing for our faith. We don't need to fear any of those things because we've been invited to Zion. It's a safe place where God's presence is, where God's promise is. And the fears that we experience in life, we don't have to have those fears because Jesus is bigger than any of those fears. And so we're invited to Zion. We're invited to this place of joy because, and this is the last thing, it's about Jesus and it's not about Moses. Sinai, Moses, was the guy who had to go up the mountain and represent the people before God. Scared to death. Zion, that's where Jesus went up the mountain, died on a cross for the people as the mediator and he doesn't just represent us to God. He opens the channels of communication 
so that we can go to God directly. The people in Moses' day could never go to God directly. We can today go to God directly because of Zion, because of Jesus, because of what he did for us on the cross. So I've done a lot of hiking in my life, and there's a lot more than I want to do. But you know what I find? That's the hardest part about hiking for any of you to do it. You eventually get to the end of the trail. And it's great, but you're like, okay, if it's out and back, you have to turn around and go back, and maybe it's a loop. But you, I always end up back in the parking lot, always back at the car. And, and I have some pictures that I take along the way, and, of course, I have my trailhead picture. But when I get to the end of the trail, I'm exhilarated and I'm tired, and I'm a little bit sad. And that's how I feel this morning. Because we've just gotten to the end of all of our life trails, and I'm a little bit sad. Now we've got something coming up next week that you're not going to want to miss. But I'm to the end here, and I'm feeling a little bit sad this morning. And yet I'm grateful. Because it's been an incredible ministry here, here at Waterford Community Church. We came out of, you remember, we kind of started coming out of the throes of COVID. And we've been able to launch some great new outreach projects that, that we've got going and, and ramp up some other things. Uh, we've uh, seen people come to Christ. We had a great baptism service just a couple of weeks ago celebrating some of those stories. And by the way, we got two more at least being baptized this coming Sunday, and you're going to want to hear their stories too. It's been an incredible year here at Waterford Community Church. But as we take our final life trails hike today together, let's not let it be our, our final faith step. Because as we look back, maybe there's things that we talked about today and you're like, yeah, I need to take that step. But even as we look at Zion today, maybe there's a faith step that you need to take as well. Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I have two questions for you. The first question is, have you taken the hike up Zion? It's figurative, of course. But the question is, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and invited him into your life? Because when he comes into your life, he brings things like joy. He makes you part of the family. He gives you a forever future hope. And if you've never invited Christ into your life, I'd invite you where you sit. You can make that decision. Jesus, I know that I don't deserve heaven because I'm a sinner and I fail. But I know that you came and died on a cross for me and rose again so that I could be forgiven. Please forgive me. Come into my life and give me this life that's promised. If you have taken that step, my question for you this morning is, what is your next faith step? Can you identify one as you sit here this morning? And as you identify it, will you make that commitment to God? All right. Maybe it's something that you've been putting off this year. We say, okay, it's time. Whether it's in the area of, of just spiritual practices, or maybe it's in the area of, of generosity, or maybe it's in the area of listening to others, I don't know. But what is your faith step? Will you commit to taking it? Dear God, it's been a great year. Thank you for this journey that you've taken us on. Thank you for the fact that you have walked with us every step of the way. And God, we cannot wait to get started next week on the next journey that you have for us as we dive into a new ministry year. We're grateful and we're expectant. And we praise you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Kimmy, you come up and wrap things up. Give us a few announcements, please.